0: Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Team Success. I am extremely excited today. I'm almost always excited, but today I'm really excited to talk to my really good friend and client and partner in crime, Alex Freitag, who, with his business partner and colleague Tom Bauer, wrote a really important book that we are going to talk about and do a deep dive in today called Profit Works. So, if you as a business owner, business leader, have had a lot of trouble trying to figure out incentive plans, how to motivate people, how not to confuse them, if you've ever experienced the pain of paying out for what you perceive to be a lack of results, guess what? Alex and Tom have the answers. Yay! (laughs) So, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to do a deep dive into the book. But before we do that, can you give a little bit of background? I know you very well through EOS and through Strategic Coach, but you did have a life before that. So fill us in on the brief history of Alex.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm happy to share this message, which is, I just think, so important. And it sort of segues into my background uh, quite a bit. The genesis of ProfitWorks, the business, it goes into the you know early, mid-90s. And you know, realizing that most employees don't understand what profit is or how it works or, you know, what's your team profit and sales and that kind of stuff. So my brother and I originally developed this company over a six, seven year period as entrepreneurs trying to develop a training program that would help employees become more engaged in understanding how profit works in the business. And we had a rough start and difficult to sell. People didn't want to share a lot of financial information. And so I moved on to a couple of other businesses. I worked at a manufacturing company and, you know, making chocolates, which was kind of fun. I worked at a glue company. Yeah, Elmer's Glue. So two things you eat, you know, as a child, at least. <laughs> That's true. I know, exactly. And then I came into this business called Ownership Thinking for a number of years and through that business, I met one of my favorite clients who introduced me to EOS. So I, I immediately became an implementer. This was back in 2013 and have been helping leadership teams along the way. And as a psychology major way back in college and you know, being in this room with these leadership teams and helping them get vision, traction and healthy, I've been blessed with good luck and finding the right choices, I guess. So with that, it's brought me to this point where I had all this stuff in my head back from 96 that I've seen business owners struggle with. And that's how we kind of arrived at putting it into the book, Profit Works. So
0: mm, you know, long Fantastic, rip- I love that. You've experienced lots of different types of companies and especially as an EOS implementer, you've got your hands in lots of them. So you get to see their trials, their tribulations, their wins, their successes. And it's interesting because- you know, we're going to talk about some very concrete practical strategies and structures, but there is a lot of psychology behind it. Yeah. I think that's going to be a really fun part of the conversation is not only what to do, but how to think about what to do, that's which right. is really, really powerful. And you include that thinking in the book. By the way, it is so brilliantly written against Profit Works. And let me just read the subtitle because it's so good. I'm around with the complexity of incentive plans to increase employee productivity cultivate an engaged workforce and maximize your company's potential. That's right. Bam. Bam. That's what we all want. And I know people struggle. People actually call me and say, Shannon, you know, I'm trying to figure out this bonus incentive plan. Can you help me? And I'm like, please, no, don't ask me. Now I know who I'm here for them (laughs) to.
1: Absolutely. I love talking about it. And like you said, Shannon, there's psychology to it. We actually include a mindset scorecard in there to help the entrepreneur think about their thinking related to a couple of key mindsets that I think are really important to consider. One of them is transparency, for example, like how much information are you comfortable sharing with your workforce? There's not a right or wrong, but Mm -hmm. that's an important mindset to think about. And in culture, there are mindsets around what kind of culture you're trying to build. So that's a helpful way for the entrepreneur to kind of you know, maybe dip a toe in the water with some mm-hmm. psychology around the incentive plan design, but also almost as important as the design is how to roll it out and reinforce it. So everybody really feels linked to it. They feel connected to it.
0: Mm-hmm. So you and Tom really wrote this book to kind of give people a handbook, a guidebook, steer them clear of issues, right? I mean, what else would you say about why you and Tom, I mean, it's not easy to write a book. Yeah. So what drove you to put this on paper?
2: Well, it's
1: probably come up so many times in our meetings with these leadership teams, specifically when we're working with companies running on EOS. Oftentimes, we're putting an issues list together in a quarterly or an annual, and it comes up, uh, hey, we need to put together an incentive plan, or they call it a bonus plan, right? And we try to stay away from the word bonus because words matter. The incentive plan is out there, and it's something we're all striving for, right? It's that brass ring, you know, that we're trying to go for that the carrot, I guess. And so as it comes up, mm-hmm. you know, and I have this, Tom and I both have this skill in our, our arsenal, but, you know, we're doing EOS and we thought, you know what, it'd be helpful is if they're coming up in our conversations with entrepreneurs and business owners, they're probably coming up for a lot of other implementers and a lot of other companies that struggle with how to do this well and how to do it simply. So we said, let's put what we know into a book and try to help people do this right. I'll tell you, one of the most frustrating things, and you may have experienced this in your past life and over the years, but what really drives us, like why did Tom and I write the book comes back to a belief that entitlement mentality is toxic. Yes. That's the bottom line, entitlement mentality. So we're trying to flip that to an earning mentality. And I think that's really the essence of it.
0: Earning versus entitlement mentality. Yeah. Nominal. Ooh, part of coach isn't having a no entitlement attitude. That's, <laughs> that's exactly part right. of having a good entrepreneurial yeah. attitude. You know, in terms of what I coach team members, and it's so easy though because, and this is interesting, and I think that you know, to my mind, it is tied to entrepreneurship. Although I don't really want anyone in corporate having entitlement attitude either. Right. But that's not my world or yours. You know, it's really about people earning and having that mindset that the results are out there. I have something to do with them. I'm not just owed. I'm not passively receiving because I showed up that day. I have something to do and I impact that result. So strengthening that connection, I know, is a really big part of this. There's so many directions I already want to go in. Yeah.
1: There's a huge distinction between owner versus victim, right? Creative versus reactive. And those are the pieces that obviously, As entrepreneurs, we want ownership mindset. We want earning mentality and not victim like, you know, oh, woe is me or, you know, they always do this to me and sort of outside in thinking. So the great thing is we get to work with entrepreneurs that believe that. They believe that we can arm our workforce with the mindset that helps them actively engage in the business and really think and act like owners which is so much fun to be a part of those companies and to to witness it but also to participate in it i'm sure i think strategic coach has very much an ownership mindset throughout the organization which is great i don't know about how much information you guys share but you know that's a lot of the conversation that comes through the book is is how to engage people
0: I love it. There's so many directions I already want to go in. 21 and a bit years ago, I went with Babs, Babs Smith, co-founder of Strategic Coach, down to visit the Remanufacturing Corporation oh, in Springfield, yeah. Missouri. Missouri, yeah. I think. Yeah. Never been there before. since
1: It's amazing. <laughs>
0: and Jack Stack, great game of business. Yeah. Where they really talked about open book management. The father.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Father of this.
1: hmm you're exactly right yeah really inspiring to read that book in the early 2000s late 90s and then i went to the gathering of the games in springfield and was able to interact with and these are really like cutting edge companies the ones that are really sharing all this information with their workforce you know there is an employee ownership like esop sort of tone to a lot of what you know great game of business is about which is fantastic but not all companies are ESOPs. and so the question might become can you get somebody to think and act like an owner if they're not really an owner right you know so my experience is the yes and part of that is the incentive plan that is simple in design and folks don't look at it as an entitlement they're not showing up to say where's my bonus they're saying hey we earned this this payout i have a story that one Of the business owners i worked with recently was frustrated this is the end of 2020 they paid out a bonus and he read the book and he's like oh my gosh i can't believe what i just did but nobody said thank you nobody said thank you and it was just like where's my piece and he's like oh my gosh so there's a complete missing link i call it the missing link in the business that people don't realize they actually produced the profits that created enough for the owner to really pay out some of that in incentive. so he wants to flip that he really wants to flip that. so we're taking another stab at it this year. but that idea of entitlement and not really appreciating number one your role in creating that incentive but number two, all the risk and all the work and effort and you think about 2020 is crazy year anyway so
0: yeah, it most definitely was. So, not saying thank you is a clue that you have kind of a entitlement bonus plan rather than an incentive plan.
2: Awesome.
0: And the other thing is, if you end up paying out, you know, either a department or people when you actually have not overall as a company grown, you've got some very essential premises yeah. of how effective incentive plans should work. So, again, there's lots to talk about. So, my intention here, if you're listening, is to give you some of the core elements that you need to know. And then I'm hopefully going to leave with a burning curiosity to want to know a lot more. (laughs) So I'll be straight up with that.
1: I can riff on that one piece because it's important, like the departmental thing. Like in the book, we talk about incentive plan mistakes. And some of these might resonate. I won't go into too much detail, but very high level, like siloed organization. If you do departmental bonuses, not only do you have to administer all that, but you can pit departments against each other. Where they're like i want that guy in my department because you know we're trying to hit these numbers and instead of a one company one vision one voice type of organization so siloed is a, a real mistake that folks can get into it does also create complexity which is probably the most common we overthink the design and in the book we really go into it's keep it super simple it's the kiss and it's one number you know the score at the end of the game so complexity is a big one a discretionary plan a lot of business owners you know we have big hearts. And we get the end of the year and we're like, ah, oh, gosh, everybody worked so hard. Let's just, I'll give this guy something over here and I'll give this person this. It's all subjective and emotional. So we try to get away from that, create a formula, you know, stretch goals that are just not reachable, cause people to give up. The disconnection we've kind of talked about, the missing link between the activities and the payout
2: mm-hmm. where people
1: get, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I mean, it's nice. They usually don't reject it, but so there's an art to some of that design that helps you avoid some of those mistakes which the book gets into.
0: Well, as you were talking I'm like, "Yep, yeah, been there, done that." We had some departments or teams, let me call them cuz you know, I don't like that term department, but some teams who were winning, some who weren't, and depending on who was administering the bonus, you know, it was subjective. So check mark on most of those
2: mistakes
0: (laughs) over my years. Before we go on, I want to touch on two things that you said were super important. One is the degree to which you're comfortable with transparency. And the other one is culture. And a lot of what you're saying already, I can see, you know, impacts the culture. Do you have an entitlement culture? Do you have a non-entitlement culture or an earning culture? And again, we're changing Shift gear. any structure yeah. Yeah, I had planned, which is fine. But talk to me a smidge about transparency because that's probably something that... How does a business owner think about how transparent to be with the numbers, what to share, what not to share? Yeah. And how have you helped people over some of those hurdles?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And everybody struggles with it. So it's not like you know there's some magic bullet here. But if you imagine a continuum from radical transparency, like, and I've seen this in a handful of companies, but they share salaries, they share just everything, right? And it's like, wow, that's a lot of information. All the way over to the other end of that continuum where just totally closed book, right? Just nothing is shared. People don't even know our, what kind of sales they do or anything, right? And the margins, they don't even know what margins are. right? so somewhere on that continuum is where your headspace is as an entrepreneur. And you gotta kind of find out where you feel comfortable. And there's a basic premise, which I believe in, and I've seen it in action, and I would probably suggest most people believe it. But in the absence of information, people make up their own story.
0: And they make it negative.
1: And it's negative. Yeah, it's like it's the worst case scenario, right? And that's why you got the boat and the plane and all these different things is you're taking all the money, right? You know, we have done these employee surveys prior to doing some of the profit education, and we just ask the employees before and after, but we ask them, what percent of sales do you think profit is? And the range is zero to a hundred. So the range is there, but the average is about 30 to 50% is what most employees who've never been taught about this stuff believe oh And but the bottom line. They might be confusing gross profit with, you know, net operating profit, those kind of things you know, I've seen a hundred percent number of times because they don't know that sales and profit are different things. So it's just this absence of information and the fallout of that, the consequence of that is that you have to kind of deal with the result of that. So if people believe that, That's going to be your reality in terms of their attitudes, their performance, their tardiness, their attention to doing it right the first time, all the sort of the little nuances of where the money falls through the crack. And that's important.
0: Yeah, I can just imagine how that engenders an entitlement mindset, right? It's like, oh, you've got the boat, the car, the the plane, the rest of it. So therefore, I'm entitled to take this or to not do that. You know, you're reaping all the rewards anyway, so who cares what I do? You just see that mindset. Ooh, that's dangerous.
1: It's really, it's us versus them. I mean, it creates a division. And I actually encourage companies to stop using the word division because this division did this, this division. Division is the opposite of what we're trying to do. It's unification, right? So, But you're right. The lack of information can create the entitlement mentality because people just kind of feel like they're owed stuff. You mentioned transparency in how comfortable you are sharing like within eos we obviously teach the data component of the model which has scorecard and measurables on there and that's data right that's information when people have that data maybe on a weekly basis in a department they're looking at these numbers and hopefully that's the stuff they really care about like it's that sense of measurability day-to-day how did i do are we winning or losing in our department That's a certain level of transparency and that's important for people to know and have good systems and accurate and timely data so they can make better decisions on a tactical day-to-day week-to-week basis and then that sort of rolls up of course into the company's sort of lagging financials which their income statement balance sheet or cash flow? And how much of that are you comfortable sharing? So in the book, we go into some hints or suggestions, I guess, really, it's like how to for how you might share the income statement. Mm -hmm. And you can dip that toe in the water. And, you know, the dollar-based income statement's interesting for people that aren't ready to share like actual numbers, you know? So anyway, there are lots of little ways to do that that we explain in the book.
0: And one of the things you talk about, I mean, the term that I've heard it for individuals or companies is financial literacy, but I love how you call it profit education. So we'll chat about that. But before we do, we've talked about EOS a lot and we haven't explained what EOS is. So can no. you give the one or two sentence description of EOS? Absolutely. We're talking about it like we're in a private club and some people may not know what it is.
1: So EOS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. So OS, operating system is the key thing. And it's a way to run a business. And it really does three things for a business owner and all this like Three sentences, but it's about vision, traction, and healthy. And so vision is from the standpoint of getting you and your leadership team 100% on the same page with where you're going and how you're going to get there. And traction is creating the accountability and the discipline in the organization to help you achieve that vision. And healthy, meaning creating a healthy, functional, cohesive leadership team. Because as goes the leadership team, so goes the rest of the organization. So we want to get to a point where everybody in the whole company, if you have 85 people, 85 out of 85 are grabbing an oar and growing. And how can I help? They know about the discipline. They're accountable. They understand the vision. You know, there's no BS, There's no politics. And that's a big piece of it is that team healthy. So that's what EOS does for an organization, vision, traction, healthy.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's such a cool system. So that book is called traction for those who are active readers. Yes. Traction.
0: Action by Jenna Wickman, who's like you, been a client. Well, he's been a client for, what, 23 years, I think, at this point? Yes. Kind of yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Strategic Coach runs on EOS. Yes. So it's a both and. It's not an either or. And we love it. And we're going through the whole process. And we're end of our first year, beginning of our second year. So it's a very powerful system. Highly, yeah. highly recommend it.
1: Tie this in to ProfitWorks a bit, because in EOS, you know, I look at it somewhat as a time management system. You've got your BHAG, your ten-year target. You got your three-year picture. You got your one-year plan. You got ninety-day rocks. It's all time-based, and the incentive plan is typically based on your one-year plan, your one-year goals. So oftentimes we'll marry that up so that the incentive design is looking at your Vision Traction Organizer, your VTO one-year plan, and saying how do we marry up. incentive plan such that we're going to exceed our profit goals or, you know, and so forth. So it's really important that the operating system exists before you design the incentive plan. Super important.
0: And you make that point very clearly in the book, be on an operating system. Only one could be EOS, maybe something else. I'm going to recommend EOS because that's essential. And that's kind of why to have an incentive plan. Incentive plan is because you want to help drive results, and you want to get everyone rowing in the same direction, <laughs> grabbing an oar, as you said. Yeah. And that's really, really essential. So it's going to line everything up. Now, there's a line that you have in the book, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I'm completely jumping around all over the place. Is right. said, the plan won't manage your people. Your managers will still have to do that. Cool. So I think expecting an essential plan to do everything, it will do a lot. But, you know, your managers still have to manage, I thought was actually a brilliant point in the book.
1: Yeah, you could write an entire book on that. And I think there is one. It's called How to Be a Great Boss, right? (laughs) That's the LMA, lead, manage, and hold people accountable that needs to happen in addition to whatever incentive plan you design. And so you're absolutely right. The incentive plan will not manage your people. And in fact, you know, it might sort of shine the light on underperformers in a positive way. Because when a group of employees gets really psyched up about the incentive plan, but they feel like another group is not as engaged and the payouts are happening maybe equally to everybody, they're going to be like, what the heck? You know, you guys shape up, get here on time. We need to fund the incentive pool. And hopefully they rally the troops. But there is a leadership component requirement, I would say, in the accountability piece that has to exist in parallel to the incentive plan.
0: I like that. And I like the fact that the incentive plan gets people saying, Hey, we need your effort. We need you to participate. It, I'm not going to say it forces engagement because nothing can really do that, but it encourages engagement. It really does. And I think that's really a powerful driver. So it's like adding a whole other fuel source to accomplishing your goals. So I think that's super cool.
1: I was going to say the peer-to-peer accountability that can exist. Now, it won't just happen just by designing the incentive plan so that the profit education piece that you mentioned before is going to be really important so that people get it. They really have to like GWC, the incentive plan. They have to get it, want it, and have the capacity to operate to be able to get that incentive plan moving and funded so they feel really connected to it. So there is a communication piece that's so important that's explained in the book.
0: I love it. Yeah, it's not something you can launch, then just leave. Like you have to keep it going. There is, it is a moment. This is something you need to commit to. But I think as someone in the business owner's seat, this is an opportunity just waiting to be taken advantage of to help get your company going where it is that you want it to get to. And it's a way to also share reward. As you said, the business owners I know are incredibly generous and want everyone to share in the profits and the rewards of all their efforts. So if you've been trying to figure out a way to do it,
1: No, I think you're right. And Shannon, if you think about the entrepreneurs, especially the ones I've met at Strategic Coach or anywhere along the way with EOS, these folks have taken a lot of risk. And, you know, it's not just in a vacuum. There's a return that's expected to take that risk and the returns come from profit. And that's why that education piece, I think most employees don't think about the risk. They don't think about the risks that have been taken, even if it's a third or fourth generation organization. So the risk return equation, I think, is a real opportunity. As you said, it's just lying there for us to teach. Mm-hmm. So we've got some ideas on how to do that in the book. But you know, ideally, if you can help the employee understand that personal finance, like balancing a checkbook, is really no different than like business finance, like just go from top line down to You know, the bottom line. If you're not satisfied with the bottom line at home, you would do some things and change it. You'd cut some costs, you know, and you can make that parallel through education with the employees so that they start to look with different eyes at the business and see, oh my gosh, I can see like 10 things in my line of sight that could be done better. And that's going to drive money to the bottom line. And I actually am now sharing in that through this self funded incentive plan. And that's really important that it pays for itself.
0: So that's actually one of the things I want to dive into. So you have some basic premises about good, effective incentive plans. And so could you list what those are? Because I think, you know, one being self-funding, number one, one. is absolutely the most critical. So this is out of extra. Yes. Right. So you're not losing anything, which I think is a really essential but not to be overlooked point.
1: No, that's exactly right. And that's why we typically suggest that we establish a trigger or a minimum threshold of profit that has to be reached before the incentive kicks in. Because the, the business obviously has some things to take care of, taxes, you know, paying down debt, reinvestment in the business, and then providing return on investment. So the trigger, there's the art, like what is that threshold above which we're going to share a portion of the profits in the self-funded incentive plan? Uh, really important, because otherwise it just becomes an entitlement plan if you pay off dollar one, right? You're not pushing the business as far as we could. So self-funded is one, it's got to cause behavioral change is two. Like if it's not shaping employee behavior, and that's done through education and reinforcement, state of the company meetings, which typically we teach in EOS are quarterly. Some do them more often, some do them less often, but we have to communicate to try to link and get the behavioral change there. We've got to be conscious of merit-based raises for cost of living adjustments. So there's pay bans, obviously, that people have. We don't get into that in the book, but this incentive plan is not a me-comp discussion right? versus it's a we comp like it's the business so me comp and cost of living intrinsic versus extrinsic motivators. so you know dan pink in drive talks about incentives from one angle and there are lots of other sort of philosophies on it but this incentive plan that we're talking about is not just an extrinsic motivator there's some intrinsic gain some pride of accomplishment some sense of team spirit like it's intrinsically valuable to be part of a winning team And when people are on a winning team you know profits are increased whatever it is that's fun that is fun you look at a business like southwest or zappos or some of those really popular businesses they got a great culture in addition to those extrinsic sort of wins as well and then the fifth one the final one is sharing information we talked a little bit about transparency but it's important to figure out where your comfort level is and i say maybe go a little bit uncomfortable there and see because most of the time the employees are like this is cool you're sharing this with me i had no idea Wow. And there's trust that's built there because you're respecting them. You're saying, I know you can understand this. Here's the information. You know, so anyway, there's a lot of paths we can go down with transparency.
0: Perfect. Well, and that's a phenomenal list. So your current plan, if you have one, is not structured this way. <laughs> you might want to that's pay close attention to it. Exactly. I really like the intrinsic motivation and people do want to be in a winning team and they do appreciate being trusted and frankly treated as adults. Yeah. You know, I think we underestimate sometimes what our team is capable of. Everyone has their own personal finances anyway. Even if they're in shambles, they have them. That's, so right.
2: that's right.
0: I think that's a really, really key point. And then I know, because it's just a fun story. So we had at one point, our controller, before he moved away for another opportunity, that was more faith-based actually. His name was Ben. So Wednesdays was the day we would have our accounting meetings and our kind of transparency share. So he nicknamed them Ben's Day's and he would do his financial literacy part <laughs> with the team. Right. Oh, there are like 25 people that we were, no, not everyone's interested in some of the spreadsheets, I can tell you, yeah. but it was really fun. You know, he had a really fun, playful, not something you necessarily ex- expect always from your controller, but it was fun to do that. It's amazing. People get it. And to this day, people who are kind of in charge of the finances are very clear. Babs, co-founder coach tells us how we're doing in our quarterly meetings, right. so yeah, we do keep people posted with that. And the winning team part is so critical because when people are trusted, when their contributions are appreciated in a tangible way, not just an intangible way, it's okay. very validating. And we work harder. And it's really not fun to be the only star player on a not winning team. Yeah, absolutely, like you want other people to be winning with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're exactly right. And I'm thinking about two stories. One was when we taught personal finance as it relates to business finance in order to help them kind of you know bridge that I've seen light bulbs go off over the years with people who are like, oh my gosh. And they start thinking about their 401k or retirement plan or whatever. And they start doing things differently at home because of this simple little example. That's really rewarding. If somebody's ever able to take better care of their family or achieve more goals or go on vacations or whatever they couldn't do before because they had this like epiphany, which is cool. And the other piece I've seen that you reminded me of was the intrinsic part. A company had 35 employees, had an incentive plan, and decided, this is interesting, the payout method, instead of a percentage of each person's wage, like everybody gets 8% of their wage, mm-hmm. this company decided, we'll take the pool of money, let's say it's you know $70,000 that's in this incentive pool, just divide it by the number of people, 35, everybody gets $2,000, know, no matter where you are in the business because some guy's making a hundred thousand, he gets 2000. It's a lower percentage of that person's salary. This person over here is making 50,000. They get 2000 as well. That equality, which sounds a little bit like socialism, but it is not because we're not going to subsidize, you know, poor performance, but it brought the team together to realize, Hey, we're all in this. So it works better in smaller, flatter organizations, but that's pretty cool. Example of like that intrinsic, Hey, we won. Here's the check. You could hand it out, like sort of in a state of the company meeting, like, Everybody's getting the same dollar amount. Hey, what are you going to use yours for? I'm going to buy, you know, soup up my car or whatever. Yeah. And I'm going to put mine in, you know, toward the kids' education. Those kind of things, conversations, just so much fun. So it's not really about the dollar amount. It was more about, hey, we won. You know, we got this.
0: It's like lottery winning. Well, it's not lottery winnings because you've earned it, but it's, yeah. but there also is something for some people, you know, if it's a smaller percentage of their salary, it is really rewarding to see people who you know don't make as much get a big win like that. It is actually quite fulfilling. So you might not, you know, experience quite the same bump, but it's incredibly fulfilling when you have everyone rowing in the right direction, you know, actually participating, and then there's that sense of team achievement. So I love that. Yeah. The last thing about financial education or pardon me, profit education, I like that better, is that it's often re-education because, you know, if they're thinking that 30, 40% of business, that's the profit, it is what? You can say in the book, it's closer
2: yeah. to five. Yeah, it could be
1: 10, five, seven. I mean, some, usually it's in single digits. I mean, there are some industries yeah. where you look at a Google or Facebook or something, those have double digit profit numbers. I mean, they're anyway, but yes, generally it's fairly lean and it's generally always lower than we want.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And if it's retail, you're lucky if it's 2%. <laughs> yeah. That would be a really good profit percentage. Yeah,
1: I, I worked at a pharmaceutical <laughs> distributor. One percent was really good. Now, 1% one percent of a billion dollars is a good number, but it's still they got to pay taxes out of that and so forth. But it's precious.
0: What kind of distributor was that?
1: It was a pharmaceutical distributor. Some people call it a drug dealer, but I
0: was—that's
1: my pat. Nothing to do with. You no,
2: know, it's here in that's Columbus.
0: Light term for that. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's jump into one of the concepts I found really fascinating in the book. There were many, by the way, which is positive tension. You know, this ties into talking about the team and how everyone responds and the culture that you're creating. So describe what positive tension is.
1: We call it positive tension. And it actually comes from a law, a natural law called the yerkes dodson law. It's on Wikipedia or whatever, but it's Yerkes, Y-E-R-K-E-S. And and it'll show you the law, but it's basically that there's a natural relationship between tension or anxiety, stress, if you want, Mm -hmm. and performance. So imagine a bell curve on the horizontal axis is tension, and it's from low to high. And on the Y axis, the vertical axis is performance. And so the bell curve, you can kind of see in that lower left corner, you're gonna have low tension or low anxiety, not much asked of people in a business Mm -hmm. and lower levels of performance. And as you go up with the tension, and you increase a little bit of pressure, maybe there's more asked of people, they have measurables that are counted on to, to hit these numbers. You have core values or expectation of behavioral alignment with the company's culture, right? And those types of expectations create tension, positive tension. So performance increases up to that little peak there. And then as you increase the tension further, you can see we drop back down the other side of that bell curve and it goes over to a place that I call just fear. And in a business, it's fear because there's so much tension, so much pressure. It's like, oh my God, I can't screw up or I'm fired, right? Make me safe. Watch out. And it's dog eat dog. And we don't want to obviously go that far. So there's a leadership sort of art form to creating enough tension to create a higher level performance, but not too much that people are freaking out. So anyway, that's the Yerkes-Dodson law, their positive tension curve. And so everything we're doing in EOS feeds into that, scorecards, measurables, L10 meetings, start on time, end on time, to-do lists seven-day action items, rocks, get them done, you know, core values and so forth are all tension tools that help create that. And within the incentive plan design, having a minimum threshold or a trigger creates positive tension as well. So that's what the positive tension curve is all about.
0: And it's so great because I think every leader is trying to figure out how do I get the most out of my people, not from a taking standpoint, but from a, how can we all contribute the maximum without freaking people out that panic zone? And that's also where performance goes back down. So people are completely playing defense. They're not playing offense. So are they in the game? Are they playing offense or are they playing defense? Right. So you kind of want them full out, full force ahead. And that's what this helps to do.
2: Yeah.
1: I love that. Cause I think about that curve sort of in three bands on the left, as you said, for more entitlement and you may have employees who are all over the curve. You might have some that are in earning in the middle, some that are in fear on the right, and some that are in entitlement on the left. And how do you get people all up to that peak? And that's where there's a lot of team health. You have to create an environment where people can have tough conversations without disrespecting other people. So you know there are kind of artful conversations that need to be had to pull people from entitlement into earning without having them run over to fear Uh, you're measuring everything you know they start freaking out but wait a second we all want the same things from working here we want a great place to work we want an enjoyable environment we all want financial opportunities so we have some basic sort of agreements that we, we all take care of each other we respect each other we don't shoot the messenger we don't backstab you know politics so those types of sort of basic rules primarily around core values are really important to communicate reinforce Seven times for them to hear it for the first time, repetition.
0: Seven times, seven times, seven times. <laughs>
2: seven times, seven times. <laughs> I love
0: that. So let's talk about different types of payouts because I found this really interesting. You were just talking about percentage versus a Equal. same amount to everybody. Yep. And you have three different types that you suggest most companies pick one, two, or you know, yeah, third sort of a hybrid. So let's talk through those. And then I also want to make sure we get into the profit education piece because, you know, there's designing your plan, but then there's actually executing on your plan. Yeah. And right. that involves more. So I want to make sure we've got time for that. So what are some different types of payouts that people design into their incentive? How can we start to think about what ours might look like?
1: Yeah, that's great. Probably the most common is the percentage of wages and or everybody gets the same percentage of their wage. And we've got formulas in the book, basically looking at your total payroll of the people who are going to be involved in the incentive plan. And we suggest, strongly suggest, that everybody participates in the incentive plan. And then, you know, each person's percentage of that total payroll is going to be obviously different. So whatever percentage of payroll they are, that's the percentage of the incentive pool they would have as well. So that's pretty common. The transparency around that is you say everybody's getting, you know, 7% of their wage this year or 10% of their wage. Five to 15% is sort of the suggested range if you're hitting your stretch goals. Right. And that's important. So if you have $5 million in payroll, 10% of that would be a nice payout. Right, so everybody's getting 10%. A second way is that equal payout I mentioned. Very easy to administer, but probably better in smaller, flatter organizations. And then there's the hybrid, which I've seen a lot of, which is oftentimes you'll have a leadership team that is participating in the all-company plan, but they also have a separate leadership pool. So the all-company plan might be percentage of wages, and the leadership pool might be equal payout. So you can kind of do a a little of both. And, you know, it's not a right or wrong to this. A lot of it is around the message you're trying to give to your culture. You know, it also depends on transparency and those types of pieces as well. But I also suggest when you're rolling it out is you make sure everybody knows this is for this year. If your calendar, January 1 to December 31, it might not be the same design next year. So we might be having a higher threshold. We might share a different percentage of profits above that threshold. So hopefully we're shooting for higher targets, but that's where the VTO and tying it to the one-year plan are important. So,
0: And you also talk about timing because depending on the type of business, the seasonality, Yeah. so questions that I get asked sometimes, or we talk about are, you know, how often do I pay it out? And how often do I want to do the, the spreadsheet for that? Exactly. Exactly. And you have some great coaching in the book about how to think about it.
2: Yeah,
1: it is just that. It's coaching. There's food for thought that we want you to kind of noodle on as you go through the book. But the timing piece is interesting because it gets into what I call, and I learned this from Elliot Jacks, but he's done a lot of research on this, got some books J A C Q U E S. But he talks about time span continuum, essentially. How far out can your employees see? Do they look? And a lot of times I've seen that folks that don't see that far, they don't look that far out, need to have more frequent payouts to be reminded, you know, and feel that cash in their bank account or whatever in their hand on a more frequent basis. So maybe quarterly, it kind of lines up with rocks and those other types of 90 day world pieces that we teach. So that's common, but we don't want to pay out everything every quarter. So some companies, we design it with a sort of banking or holding back. Half of that quarter's incentive to the end of the year and then truing it all up. So that's one way with a team of people who have maybe a shorter time span continuum. And then you have other teams that can really see, you know, maybe a year or two out. And that one I would just suggest communicate really frequently, but you might not have to pay out until, you know, once a year. And, uh, you know, some of my teams say, well, we want something around the holidays, so they see "Well, we're going to be ahead. We know it's safe to pay out this much. Everybody gets a little something before the holidays. And then at the end of the year, the books are trued up and maybe early February, they get the balance. It's a little chunk. But communicate, 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 communicate all through the year so that people know what's the score and that sort of thing. So.
0: Yeah, this is gamification, right? Except the the reward is money, which is never a bad thing. That's That's how you know you're winning. I think that actually paying attention to what is the time span thinking of your team is such a powerful idea. If they're paycheck to paycheck, you know, more frequent. But again, quarterly is you kind of suggest the minimum would be that, which I think makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's hard to administer if it's monthly, that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: it's going to be challenging on your payroll. So I think that's great. Now, do incentive plans work as a retention tool? Do they help people stay, good people stay?
1: Yes, they can. And I think, you know, that gets into the LMA piece as well. I mean, if you as an entrepreneur are holding back rock stars, it doesn't matter what incentive you have, they're going to find a way to grow. And so hopefully they'll grow with you. So you know, the people analyzer and some of the tools we use, the EOS, are really important for having those quarterly conversations with your rock stars or your superstars, as Kim Scott from Radical Candor calls them. You know, superstars are the ones that need to keep getting more and more and more from the standpoint of like opportunity and responsibility and growing and managing people and that kind of thing. And rock stars are steady eddies. They're awesome. You don't want to lose them, but they don't have desire to like, you know, run the whole place and that kind of thing. So I thought that was an interesting distinction. But from a retention tool standpoint, depending on how you design the plan, we're looking at sort of annual plans here and making the game, you know, 12 months. And this is the game this year, guys, here are the numbers that we're looking at. And here's the design Any questions. And then you give them the tools, training and resources to help fund the plan and hold each other accountable, those kind of things, and then celebrate. With the win, right? I've not designed and choose not to design like multi-year kind of golden handcuffs type setups for this type of plan, which is a broad-based sort of self-funded incentive plan. But there are things like stock appreciation rights or phantom equity, that kind of thing that can be designed and you know, that have a longer term like payout for sort of high profile leaders that you really don't want to lose, like the integrator, for example, or
2: or something like that.
0: Okay. Perfect. And the other point, well, we won't belabor it, but people have to be there. People have to be in good standing. They can't be on probation. There are disqualifiers for getting paid out the incentives. Yeah. So again, you still have to manage. No, <laughs> Sam won't right. do that. I think one of the concerns I hear sometimes is, oh, I don't want to pay someone who's not pulling their weight. Right. You have that figured out and you clearly talk about that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Some of the, I suppose you might call it the fine print, but it's just people have to know these are taxable wages. Right. I've seen, you know, the company says, hey, everybody's getting $2,500. And then the guy gets to say, hey, I only got $1,800. So the government is, still exists. You know, this isn't, you know, so there are little nuancy things you, you definitely have to communicate around it. You know, extraordinary events has come up because I'm thinking about the scary times. Yes. 2020, right? So like, what do we do with the plan if, you know, pandemic occurs or whatever, you know? So having some language in there around the company's got to protect itself. So we're going to play the game and we're going to hold the rules the way we describe them up front. We're not going to change the rules in the middle of the game, but I suppose there are occasional exceptions. So we talk about three choices in the book, you know, abandon the plan, keep the plan as is and change the plan. So, you know, it goes into more detail there, but those are things you want to look at based on what's
0: going
2: on in the year.
0: This is so great. I mean, I'm really getting this clear picture of what makes an effective incentive plan, you know, transparency, culture, it has to do with making sure it's self-funded and all of those other guidelines that you gave. You're not paying it out to people who aren't (laughs) aren't contributing. You can change it in scary times you know, 5 to 15% above a certain threshold. Given a lot of very clear direction, which I love. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is with that profit education piece. Yeah. And I love it. And you're actually filming a, a masterclass on this as we speak, which is very exciting. So talk about that a little bit. You know, I know I had some early profit education through great game and other things and I'm on the leadership team. So not allergic to spreadsheets. <laughs>
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Cash flow statement is still one of my favorites, as is profit. By the way, profit and teamwork are my two favorite business words. So thank you for.
2: (laughs) Oh, I love it.
0: One of my passions. You know, you've talked about comparing it to people's personal finances, but this piece for you is absolutely essential. And you would be unwilling to have people just do one without also the other, correct?
1: I agree. If an entrepreneur has made one of the mistakes, either discretionary or paying off dollar one, they're, you know, it's not self funded, those types of things. And they just design the plan and then don't do any of the profit education, the context around the plan. I think you're missing a huge opportunity because number one, we really want to enroll the entire workforce in not only understanding the simple formula that you design, but also understanding how do I, an employee, what lever do I pull that affects that incentive? How do I affected? How do I link to it? And so the profit education piece is a way to provide that context. And we're not talking about sharing like multi-page income statements from last month or that kind of thing. We're trying to keep it really simple. So the book goes into sort of some suggestions for doing this. I've been doing this for 25 years and I've seen eyes glaze over and I've seen people like, oh, I get it. So yeah, we try to break the income statement down and we really don't go too deep into like a balance sheet or cash flow in the early stages, but just trying to show them where is profit on this profit page, on this income statement, and try to keep it simplified. Five lines, You know, sales minus cost of sales is gross profit, minus operating expenses is profit. And that's where our incentive is based. And then we gotta give them all the tools to figure out how do we drive that number up at the bottom line. So that's where scorecards, measurables, rocks, and those types of tools will help the employees engage and then keep score like great game of business talks about every month, every quarter telling people, how are we doing? Yeah. So what you're doing a couple of things there when you keep score is sort of secretly, you're reinforcing what you taught them originally. You're showing them the income statement again, seven times you know, throughout the year, throughout the year. And you're also getting people either excited or motivate, like if the numbers aren't where you want them to be, let's put those things on the issues list and, you know, IDS them and figure out what we need to do to get the numbers moving. Or you're like, we are ahead and we, you know, this is what the potential could be, the payout. This is exciting. You're celebrating getting the oxytocin going in the brain and having those oxytocin moments where you're celebrating as a company, like a unified company. So the masterclass is going to help the entrepreneur understand how to teach that in a very simple way. Uh, What I found historically is that I would go in and do the teaching as an outsider coming in. I don't know all the examples of like who's stringing it out from cash standpoint, but you know I don't know where all the costs are necessarily that are buried in the cost of sales or cost of goods sold. The entrepreneur, or the CFO, somebody who can embrace the teachings in the masterclass and then translate it in your language to the employees. I think it's kind of like that teach people to fish, they eat for a lifetime versus give them a meal. So that's what we're trying to do with the masterclass. So it becomes part of the design rollout reinforcement program.
0: I love it. And a lot of entrepreneurs would be very happy that you're helping them (laughs) to do
2: that. I love helping So that's great.
0: I know you do. That's how you sign off your emails, actually, which is really fun. So just to wrap up, you've probably seen some pretty cool stories or, well, seen some examples. So like you share that with us about some people who are like, oh, you mean if I do this, it'll impact the bottom line? So because you do this all the time. So what's been a fun one for you is like, oh, my gosh, this was so cool. This company all of a sudden saw that they were wasting money over here or could invest over here. What's one of your faves?
1: Yeah. The first business that came to mind as you're asking the question is down in Florida and they're a distributor of medical supplies. And they loved the idea of challenge rocks. And we talk about it in the book, essentially a challenge rock is like gamification of a measurable to improve it. And so they had trying to get paper invoices into you know electronic. That was a, a rock. And in the next 90 days, we're going to have all of our invoices 100% going, and what does that save us? You know, so they had to sort of do some math on the implications of freeing up people from opportunity cost standpoint, tens of thousands probably on an annualized basis. You've got cash flow like so if they're average collection days were 72 and try to get them down toward closer to their terms which are you know net 30 for most of their clients all that cash comes in and they can use that cash to pay down debt which reduces interest expense or they could reinvest in technology they had another challenge rock around web leads the number of leads coming in from the the webs they called it the matrix so they gamified it put a theme they had a big poster up with like neo up there had a lot of fun with it and they're having these state of the company meetings with people coming in dressed up like the Matrix and dressed up like Spider-Man. There was another one. So that stuff was so much fun. In a year, they added up all their Challenge Rock games and it came to about $225,000 of just found money annualized. And now that's just for that year. And then ideally, if they keep the behaviors up, it applies going forward. So, so it's that kind of culture that's fun, they're celebrating. And there are a lot of stories, a lot around errors and mistakes, and people not realizing, oh, if I have to do it again, not a big deal, we're helping the customer. But it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> if you do it right the first time, the customer's happy there, and you get to do something else with that time that you're not spending doing it over again. So those types of ahas for the employees are so much fun to be part of, and to see the behavioral shifts
0: I was just going to say that, you know, a good incentive plan causes behavioral change. And that's exactly what you're talking about. The other thing I think I really like is the fun factor. Yeah. You know, it pulls people together, makes you as a business owner, a better communicator, clear about what you want. You get better at your vision (laughs) for yourself and your team, and then you get to include everyone in it. And, you know, I think business is the best, one of the best human games and the best way for people to learn about themselves. It's. We do professional growth, but that's also personal growth. So, to my mind, you've actually created a whole other element, not created, but you've illustrated a whole other element for how to do this well. And I know people that have gotten so burned from incentive bonus plans that turned into a title, but they're like, I don't even want to talk about it. Right. But you've really reinvigorated this for me. And I'm super excited for people. So,
1: yeah. I mean, compensation and money, it's a tricky topic because there's not like a silver bullet. You know, it motivates this. Employee or this teammate might not be the same thing that motivates this one. So it's not the end all be all, but my experience is there are ways to do it simply and to really get a big benefit from it from the standpoint of the cultural shift mm-hmm. over time. So it becomes a way of doing business versus a program of the month. You know, it's really important to look at it as a
2: shift.
0: Good point. That's another big danger. Yeah. You know, it's a flash in the pan and then people go, eh, yeah. let's <laughs> yeah. focus on it. Oh, this is fantastic. Well, Alex, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's so much more. The book, by the way, is so clearly written. There's so much. It's simple. It's succinct. It takes a very complicated subject and boils it down to the essence. You've cleared away all the clutter. And there are great stories. So it's a very personable book, if I can describe it that way, and so accessible. So kudos. You and Tom have done an awesome job. So go Grab, ProfitWorks. So I presume it's available wherever great books are sold. <laughs> That's
2: in like in
1: all formats, like there's 10 different formats now, you know, e-book, audio and all, I guess.
0: Oh, good. Oh, audio too. I love it. Although there are pictures. So you kind of want both. I would suggest the audio right. and the written, whichever format you like.
1: I did some of those pictures, Shannon. I have like a little bit of artist in me. So you'll see some you of, the, of the pictures? Uh, Yeah, some pales and, you know, some of the other stuff, but We also had a graphic designer do a few of them as well. So, But anyway, that was just like, a it's not even mentioned in there. It's actually not that important, but I thought I would just tell you.
0: You get all the artist credit. I love it. (laughs) It's a very friendly book. That's the other part of it. So there's nothing scary about it. But if people want to reach you and Tom, how can they do that? You know, if people want to learn more about the masterclass, how can they tap into your incredible wisdom about this?
1: Two ways. One would be LinkedIn, just Alex Freitag. Tom Bauer. The other would be profitworksllc.com, which is our website. And from there, there's email addresses and contact information. And we're going to have that client portal up there with the masterclass. But if they want help or guidance on designing the incentive plan, I'd go to the website and it'll get to Becky or and then eventually to us and we'll help them out. So happy to help.
0: You've got some good who's to help you. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Learn that from the best.
0: I hope so. So, Alex, thank you so much. This has been super fun. And again, I'm so psyched because you have tackled an issue that so many entrepreneurs struggle with. Thank you. And you've done it so elegantly and such a friendly, accessible way. So, kudos. And again, if you're listening, these Grab Profit Works. It's a great book and it will just educate you in your thinking, the mindsets required. It might challenge you in some ways, good ways, but down the road, if you can design the plan as you've illustrated with your incredible, like just how much fun people have with it. Why not add this to your toolkit in terms of capabilities? Love it. Amen.
1: It's a labor of love. Yeah. But thank you, Shannon. I really appreciate it and hope everybody benefits from our interview. Thank you.
0: Sure they will. Okay. Awesome. Thank you.
1: Talk to you later.